Welcome to the Mixed In Key podcast. I'm Adam Hignall and I'm here with Isaac Sprintis and our special guest, Lee Sanders. Hello, Adam. How you doing? I'm very well. And thank you. Hello, Lee. How are you? Doing fine. Doing fine. Excellent. Uh, Lee is in LA, is that right? That's right. Where you're based as a professional um, film industry composer, teacher. Uh, you've done video games. Tell us, tell us all about your career. Right on. I started um, with um, working with a composer who had been one of my teachers out mm-hmm. of uh, University of Southern California. And uh, I assisted him. I did orchestrating and conducting um, for a show called Family Guy, an animated show for the first three seasons of that show. Wow. Uh, and then I got uh, a gig, which is sort of lasted until present day, mm-hmm. which is doing music for The Amazing Race, uh-huh. um, which is PBS reality show that has now gone on and has international versions. And I mean, it's just sort of, um, they, they can't kill it. And that's sort of my kind of bread and butter mm-hmm. gig. And then that's allowed me to do a bunch of other things kind of on my own time and to reach out and yeah. to help filmmakers who are up and coming. And, and so I've done, you know, uh, maybe a couple of dozen independent features. Yeah. Um, I did, music for the Sony Pictures Home Entertainment logo. So yeah. anytime, you know, pop in a, a Blu-ray or a DVD or whatever uh, from, from Sony Columbia TriStar, the first thing you hear is that, that little, that little logo theme. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I, that's been my career is just sort of um, sort of centered probably on television, Yeah, but it's got these other little branches that reach out into film and to even video games. I've worked on a few video games along the way. Um, And and so honestly, it's like every composer Mm. out there, you know, we just like to work on cool stories and interesting projects. (laughs) And so that, that takes you into a lot of different alleyways along the course. Absolutely. Yeah. It's something that we've talked about on the podcast previously. Um, We, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are uh, can be on various stages of their journey into music production and composition, but a lot of them are um, like most of us, kind of just always on that journey of like, where's this going to go? Is it going to go where I thought it was going to go? Kind of thing. And I think that we, what we, what we, what they'll find really interesting to hear from from you about is kind of how to take music production ideas and composition ideas, and then sort of really take them into a, the, an, an industrial kind of professional capacity um, in something like film and TV. Sure. Yeah. In, in full disclosure, um, I worked for Lee Sanders for many years. And, <laughs> and actually, Lee is really someone I would consider a mentor that kind of gave mm. me my start as a composer. Fantastic. And, um, yeah, I, I, I cannot say enough good things about <laughs> Lee as far as a human being and as a composer. He's uh, yeah. been an incredible mentor and friend. Pretty great to have him here. Excellent. Yeah, that's kind, and and man, I'm I'm really glad to be here. Um, to your point, Adam, the one of the things I like best about this career is that you know you never know what the next gig is going to be. You never know what kind of story you're going to find yourself telling over the course, you know, of of a career that can span. I mean, look at you know, some of the, you know, the people who are still in the game, Mike mm-hmm. Post, the John Williams is who right, had yeah. 40, 50 years in the game. Yeah. And, and those, those guys are, and gals are still trying to find the latest, you know, piece of software, the latest piece of equipment, the yeah. latest compositional technique. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's, that's what makes it worth doing. Right. Yeah. I want to be, you know, at, at the end on my deathbed and, and, you know, surfing the web saying, Oh, this is cool. Yeah. I got to download. Yeah. <laughs> and then just, you know, yeah. I, it's a, it's a career where you can always grow and always improve. And to me, that's the kind of career that's worth having. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. yeah. There's always something to learn. There's always something to, to draw inspiration yeah. from. Yeah. And it's like a, it's like a, this the, the sort of music industry as a whole is like this sort of pulsing kind of, um, hive mind, where which is there's somebody always innovating something that hasn't been done before in whether it's in kind of a technological sense or a synth sense or compositional tools or or really uh, you know the the way that digit doors or digital audio workstations have just gone up and up and up and up over the years. There's just all this innovation happening all the time around us, and it's like it's it can be it's so inspiring if you're just always out there looking, as you say, looking for the next thing. What can I use? 
how can I, I how can I incorporate this into my workflow? It's just a super exciting place to be. That's right. And and now we have, I mean, we have layers upon layers, right? Mm-hmm. Originally, I mean, I'm old enough to to have been sequencing in MIDI when there, you know, the, the computers that one would normally have access to were not powerful enough to pull audio along. Right. right. And so, you know, I work in a, a my sort of home territory is a, a piece of software called Digital Performer. Mm-hmm. And I was working on it when it was just Performer, right? That there was no audio right. function. Yeah. And so the next layer became, oh, let's add the audio functions of like a Pro Tools to this and it'll become the suite. And then now there, you know, there have been, oh, let's add yet another layer. And, and now with, with the software, you know, that, that you guys are working with, it, there's a layer of, oh, let's give these creators some tools to to streamline the process and to broaden what might occur to them to write and right. to get you know and and so that to me the the assistance that the software gives you is has become part of the compositional process from the inception yeah. and that's right. new i mm. think that's new do you use cats and plugins at all in, in any of your professional work have you ever well, I, I hadn't until sort of Isaac introduced me to it. Right. And um, the, my main sequencing rig is, uh, is running a very old version of Mac OS because it's stable and right. happy. Okay. You know, it, it's going to change soon because yeah. some of the newest versions of all these, all the various plugins that I use um, right. are not compatible with that old versions, yeah. including captain plugins. Yeah. Right. So, I have been using it on the laptop that, on which I'm doing this. Right. As you can see, this is not my studio. This is kind of a little podcasting area and Zoom area that I created uh-huh. kind of off my living room. Um, but it's just become more and more of a workstation. Um, and and so, yeah, the, I've used Captain Plugins working here in Digital Performer. I've used it with uh, some students now. Okay, um, cool. There's a guy from Eastman that, um, you know, I'm, I'm walking through some stuff and I mentioned it to him. He's like, oh, that's interesting. And so I kind of I kind of walked him through it to the extent that I, I could. And then, of course, referred him to, you know, all the videos and all the materials that that are out there, you know, right. now. Yeah. that make it really easy to get up to speed quickly. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's, 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 um, I'm just curious, you know, whether somebody of your sort of com- compositional caliber, as it were, and you know, professional in the, in the industry, um, actually I, I'm on a personal level, really curious to know whether it's something that you can kind of see a usage for or value for maybe it speeds up the workflow or something. I don't, I don't know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And, and the thing, thing that I find is that especially with the, the melody tool, it suggests things that wouldn't be top of mind to me, right? right. Yeah. Like when I teach students composing, uh, which I've done, uh, I, one of the things I say to them, you can only write what occurs to you to write. Yeah. And so to have a tool that broadens that, right, that gives you a few more things to occur to you is just, I mean, that's huge, right? Uh, it just it just enriches and broadens what what you're able to, to kind of access. When you look at a composer like, you know, Hans Zimmer, mm-hmm. um, his, his compositional ideas are, are very straightforward, tend to be, right? They're, they're wonderfully connected in terms of understanding of story, but they're, 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 not, they're not super complex, harmonically especially. Right. But what he's done that is, in my opinion, most innovative is that he has brought the, the mix part of the equation into the very initial stages of conceiving uh, of, of composing, right? And that's more of a record producer's kind of a, a, a thought process, right. which was very foreign to film composers prior to that. The idea of um, thinking about what I'm going to do with this cue, I know I'll write this, and then later in the mix, I'll do a stutter edit, or I'll do this thing where I, I flange it, or I'll you know I'll use it as a shepherd tone so that it you know all these things are are production i don't want to say tricks that's that's reductive but techniques right these are production techniques but they've been brought earlier in time so that part of the conceptual stage yeah where or they would just be you know oh let's just just make up right there yeah post-production that's right yeah it's like thinking like a producer and a composer yeah yeah which is how the dance music producers all think right but i think that's very different to the classically trained composers and, and it's very interesting as you say how I mean this that's news to me by the way I, I didn't I didn't know that before you told me but it's exciting to hear how 
the two mindsets are almost merging into one kind of way of thinking. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you look at, you look at the setup, every, you know, every composer has their own setup, but increasingly composers in their composer setup, they'll have, you know, they may have a deck, you know, I mean, you look at um, like Brian Tyler's setup, for example, the guy who writes a lot of music that kind of goes in between these genres. And he's there, he's got a, you know, he's got a whole DJ setup right there at his composing station. Right. That's part of now part of his process. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the tools, you know, that, that equate to, to one or, or, or originally may have been developed for one sort of subcategory of this crazy music world we're all in. Mm. They're now cross-pollinating and it's all um, ecumenical, I guess, right. is the word. Well, it, and it's kind of, you can make what you want out of it now. The, 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 the tools in front of us are powerful enough to do pretty much whatever you want and come up with new ideas um, in any style that you like. Um, I'm, I'm interested in, in not not only in a, in the software kind of um, sort of uh, the utensils, but in the the more compositional approach thing uh, in your life working with film and TV and the visual image. How do you first approach an idea when you're like when you're approached with a, with a, a brief? Like, what's your thought process in determining the character and the tone and 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 the vibe of the piece that you want to compose? Sure. A lot of that is going to come from creative discussions that I have with the filmmakers, Uh right? Anything that I do when it comes to, you know, writing scores is always going to be at the service of the picture and at the service of the story that they want to tell. Uh, I have strong ideas. I have a specific sensibility Mm. and that part of that's, that's the reason I get hired, right? It's what I bring, but I have to mold that into the uh, the ideas that they have for the story so that's where it starts with yeah. these creative discussions and for me that's part of the you know the most fun part of the process yeah. is having these discussions and oh yeah you know i was i was looking at this you know i was looking at this painting which captures this aesthetic and you know anything but talking about specifically music is valuable yeah you know the last thing i want people to do i want them to i want to have a discussion in the realm of drama mm-hmm. and in the realm of art um so that then i can do the heavy lifting of translating into music and out of that discussion and watching the source material generally for me it's it's not this way for everybody but for me there'll be one little moment somewhere where i'll kind of oh i know what i want to do there just if it's if it's a for you if it's like a the side of a a a climbing wall right like Mm -hmm. a cliff that i've got a rock climb to the top of that's my first handhold and it it won't be usually the main title it won't be the very first thing it's going to be somewhere in the middle probably yeah. right and, okay. and and it might be an idea for a theme it might be just a color that seems to you know go well with the color palette a musical color that goes well with the color palette that Can they're you using explain what you mean explain what you mean there I, th- I i'm not i'm not quite following the, the musical color what does that signify for you sure um a combination of instruments right. a sonority um that's generally what I meant by that, but it could also, it also could be a little harmonic progression. I did um, an an independent film that probably no one will ever see, but um, it was kind of a neo film noir kind of along the lines of Fargo. Okay. Um, And, and in that case, there was, there was in the first cue that I got an idea for was it was just a conversation between two of the characters. It was one of these, we're both bad people and we have bad motives and we're about to do some dark deeds. And uh, so I got this idea for this sort of chordal chord, you know, stacked force kind of almost goldsmithian, mm-hmm. um, you know, chord. And, and it moved to, uh, to another one, a third higher. Right. So it was, so it was this, uh, it was just two chords, right? two chordal chords, you know, separated by a third. And that was the seed that the whole score came out of. You know, and I was, you know, as you do, mm. typically you sort of have your your hands on the keyboard and sometimes you play along with these scenes, you know, and you have a piano because it's just neutral. And so I hit those two chords. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, this is working. Right. This is a nice kind of neutral, but kind of ominous, portentous characterization. Yeah. Yeah. I think this harmonic language is going to work for this. And it ended up being that ended up being the basis of the whole thing. Okay. And it was it, it became the main character's main theme. Right. And, and the so that was my little handhold, right? Mm. But it came from a, a, I don't know, I don't remember where the kind was 25, 35 minutes in mm-hmm. toward the end of the first act of the of the picture. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so, but there are other composers who will start with the main title and write that, and then they'll write the next cue chronologically and so on and so on. Right. And the last they'll write is the end credits and they'll just do it all the way through chronologically. Um, that is alien to my, to my way of being. <laughs> right, right. I'm a little more all over the map and, and, you know, for a filmmaker, I, you know, I don't think that's too terribly disorienting because they shoot out of sequence. Yeah. 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 You're experiencing yeah. different parts of their story being told, you know, in, in out of sequential succession. Yeah. So if I play them something, okay, well, this is from later in the film. Now we're going to jump earlier in the film so that you can see how I'm using that same theme, for yeah. example, okay. when I do yeah. my kind of playback meetings for them. Right. Um, it doesn't, I don't think it bothers them. I've never, I've never had a comment. Oh, that really bothers me. I, I wish you would just present me with the whole score. Right. No, that, I that, admit, yeah. I, sorry. I have, to, I have to admit that when I was working on these like sci-fi movies, um, kind of on the lower budget kind of spectacular movies from the same company as Sharknado. When I would, when I would be doing those and you'd have a limited amount of time, I'd start from the beginning and go straight to the end. Right. Like, because it was like, like reading a book, you know, and it was this, and it was very interesting how kind of like what you were just talking about, a handhold that you would create that would inform the whole thing. You, I would kind of create those handholds as I went and in a, in an interesting way, thematically from like a light motive, uh, sensibility, it did become recurring and generative later on as characters mm. of themes are introduced. Um, do you think that way, like in a Shankarian motif kind of way, like a, like a micro macro way of composition or is it sometimes or? I try not, I try not to because it, it leads to decision-making that sort of serves some larger formal concern rather than serving the picture. Mm. So, I mean, you know, it's the, the truism is the film is the form, right? Right. Uh, when it comes to formal structures within film music, the film is the form. Uh, the picture and the narrative dictates uh, what you do. And, and any sort of larger scale um, structural relationships are, are brought about because of those structural relationships in a narrative, right? It's, it's a reflection of that in the narrative. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're doing a score that's, that's motivic like that, right? Where you have themes for every character has a theme and it's, you know, that sort of, that sort of approach then. Um, and, and by the way, writing something like that from beginning to end is I can see how it would totally work because, you know, by the end, the themes are interacting. Yeah same way the characters right. are interacting. And so it, it makes sense to do it that way. Right. No, my, my way of doing it's the, the, the crazy one, you know, right. the sort of jumping all over the map, the mixed yeah. up one. I also try to do the hardest cues first. No, I like your, I prefer your way. I pre, like a given amount of time, given the freedom and the time to work on something, I much prefer going straight to the, to the meat, like going, okay, this is the big thing. This is what I want to focus on and it will inform and I can extract away. Mm -hmm. Uh, this other route, which was a necessity, you know, that, that, I would, that I would work in that manner. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I find that if I do the hardest cues first and by hard, I mean, either the, the longest or the, the sort of most emotionally sort of tricky, you know, ones, then, then by the time I get to the easier cues, I'm so familiar with the material. I can just crank those out. Like, like they're nothing, just boom, right. you know. What do you see as some themes right now? Like, what do you see new trends that are occurring? What's in your mind the future uh, stylistically of, of this music? Well, I mean, I think there is always a pendulum, you know, between real and electronic, you know. And, and at the moment, electronic is and has been for a few years um, really, really popular again with, with stranger things. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was kind of the first, well, I don't know if it was the first, but it was one of the, the big moments that kind of re-announced that, Hey, you know, retro is, is yeah. back in a big way. Um, and there've been a lot that have followed and, and a lot of it's wonderful. It's not my wheelhouse at all, but it's, it's wonderful stuff. Um, while at the same time there's been, because of the affordability of, you know, a lot of orchestras in Eastern Europe uh, versus what you have to pay here in the United States. There's been a renewed emphasis on, um, on live players, right? At the sort of other right. end of that, yeah. you know? So the, 
ability to choose not for budgetary concerns, but for purely creative concerns between something that is all synth, hybrid synth plus live, or mm-hmm. practically all live, yeah. uh, is has never been easier, right? Right. The, the kind of budgetary concerns around that have gone large, largely away. They haven't gone away completely, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But, um, you know, once you're above just the sort of very lowest level guerrilla filmmaking type project, you can have live players now. Yeah. Or, or, you know, the audience seems to be accepting of uh, scores that are, you know, all synth and proudly so yeah. in a way that yeah. 10, 12 years ago they, they weren't. Mm-hmm. That, was, that yeah. was weird and cheesy and too retro, and, right? And, and when you're so, think, sorry. sorry, when you're writing these things from the from the ground up, as it were, are you thinking like specific instruments for every every kind of um, motif or every is every timbre considered when you're writing it, or are you kind of open to going? Well, maybe that would sound good with a like an orchestra. Or maybe I could use a whole bunch of. Do you know what I mean? Like, are you open to it at that stage, or how do you approach it? I try to make just just to minimize the number of decisions I have to make because, mm. you know, it can be paralyzing, right? If you, if you have everything to consider all the time, I try to make those decisions right up front. Right. Uh, so by the way, that's an important conversation to have with the filmmakers. Yeah. Right. They just hate the sound of a saxophone. Well, then you, you that can't be part of your palate. Yeah. So I try to, and it also, by the way, to interrupt myself, <laughs> it also helps with, um, your, your technological needs, right. To, to mm. define a palette, create that as your template for that project. Yeah. Usually you're going to toggle off your generic writing template, yeah. right. Yeah. Your digital audio workstation. Um, you're probably going to add a few things that are going to be native to this particular project. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to get rid of some stuff to kind of save on system resources mm-hmm. um, in, in most cases. And, and so those palette decisions to me are, are, ones that I prefer to make at the beginning. Yeah. Obviously, as you go, you're going to find more things that you want to do. Back to this this um, film noir, I ended up adding in um, some prepared piano stuff uh, and some other sort of more sound effects-y type stuff. Um, I, I, you know, brought in several sampled uh, harps mm-hmm. and a few specific violin libraries because I wanted to do some string clusters up top. And I, rather than use the same sampled string clusters that everybody has in phobia. Right. At, I, I, I used a few of those, but then I either augmented or I didn't and use my own where I used five or six different libraries on different pitches. And then I detuned them right. as I went so that the, so that the, you know, the, the atonality could kind of rock and roll with dialogue, for example. Right. right. Um, and, and so that kind of stuff, um, it's especially the prepared piano, mm. not in my normal writing template. I mean, I have all those samples, yeah. but you know, I would add those, you know, either at the beginning, Oh, that's going to be a sound I need. Or as is the case here, I, I added it later as I thought, Oh, you know, it would be neat, right. Right. but 90% or more of the template uh, and the palette is created before I start to really start to write. Right. Right. Yeah. That's part of that yeah. first little handhold. Right. Yeah. Uh, for me, get that first idea t- it tends to have like i said kind of a, uh, a color to it which mm. includes certain instruments right. um you know i the, the thing that i always try to remind myself of right talking about you can only write what occurs to you to write the thing i always try to remind myself of is that i'm not limited to the standard kind of orchestral component right um Bernard Herman was probably the the first um, real proponent of this and just such a genius in the way that he, oh, if I need 12 xylophones for my skeleton battle, you know, all those Ray Harryhausen stop motion, you know, scenes that he did for Sinbad and all those amazing movies. And and he would use these crazy ensembles that really at the time were only available in Hollywood. Where else are you going to be able to get, you know, 12 amazing percussionists and put them in a room and mic them up and, you know, have them sight read everything here right at the time was one of the very few places you could do it yeah. and he took it in a way that very few composers before him did and after he did it everyone was like oh well yeah of course you know yeah right that's i mean that, i think that's so in a sense as well as doing the composition you're really engineering the mix at the same time and that's part of the process 
Oh yeah. 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 I, you know, I, I try because, because I was, I was trained to be able to write it all out, pencil and paper. And my first gig, like I said, doing family guy, the composer was Ron Jones. We have a visitor. Uh, the composer was a fellow named Ron Jones and he had been very much trained as a pencil and paper guy. Yeah. Had no chops, particularly at sequencing into MIDI. Right. So that one of my big jobs, right? He would sit at the piano and write it out and literally throw score pages over his shoulder. And I would sit and sequence those up as we went. And that's how I got fast at sequencing. Right. Um, but, but when I'm writing because of time demands and because it's frankly easier and all these wonderful tools make it easier, yeah. I'm writing straight into the, you know, in, into the, the DAW. Yeah. And so because of that, um, all these, all these sounds, all this technology, kind of plays in and, and obviously influences it, mm. but um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. If that- As you go or do you mix it afterwards? Oh, oh, that's, that was kind of my, that was kind of where we were going with this. Um, my hope is that I can get 90% or more of the balance, the basic balance of the mix when I sequence. Yeah. Right. So that when I record, I just record everything at a decent level, you know, so you get good levels in your kind of sound chain. But then when I play it back with everything, you know, with, with all the flader, all the faders in the same place, mm. then the mix and the balances are 90% of the way there. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else yeah. I'm doing is just tweaking and, you know, yeah. fixing problems. Sure. I, I'm originally, I'm a French horn player, so I always sequence them too loud and I always later have to go, oh yeah, so don't get too happy with the, with the horns. <laughs> right. Got to pull them back, kid. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so those kind of little balance considerations, nothing is hopefully if I've done my job, hopefully nothing is what I would call structurally out of balance. Uh-huh. That makes you know? sense. Yeah. Yeah. Although my, one of my approaches is if I, if I find myself struggling with the mix while I'm writing, I disregard it. And I, I just continue writing if I'm enjoying that process and I deal with it later, because I don't want to have to wear two hats all the time. You know, like if I'm, right. if I'm, if my writing process is going well, and the mix isn't there for it i'm I'm okay with it i know it's me i know i'm the one hearing it i know what i'm going to hear later on right that makes sense yeah, yeah. i don't know that i'm that secure I, I i'm always wondering that i wrote it wrong if i if i'm not getting the mix i want you know mm-hmm. uh, you. go ahead i'm just saying i'm of the point of view that i i don't want to judge it while i'm writing it like <laughs> you know because i find it really uh like a paralyzing if i if mm. i get too you know granular and judgy while i'm putting it out there i want to be able to have it in a format that's malleable that i can refine and then i judge and refine and 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 form it a little bit later so there's almost like a second pass of let's see what i've got here it's almost like writing a first draft for sure oh there's definitely a second pass yeah so i i i really do view things as you know, a uh, wide open slate where I have a lot of freedom and I do not judge the work at all. Mm. And then I go back. And I wouldn't say judge it, but I, I refine it, refine yeah. it to a place where I then am happy with it because yeah, just out of the necessity of the job, you need to be able to write on demand at any time. And for that, I, I found that re- Removing the idea of criticizing my own work at first is the most productive way just to jump in and get started. Absolutely. The the thing that there was a thing that I learned from a colleague of mine who's now directing movies and scoring them. I think that's how he, you know, he decided to get gigs. I'm just going to make the movies and then I'll, then I'll get the gig by default. (laughs) Um, uh, Getting rich Ragsdale. And he was one of my colleagues at USC. And the thing he said, that's sticks with me to this day was he's like i always try to make the first idea work right i stick with it and i struggle with it way longer than sort of a a beginning composer might think to do and uh-huh. it's something i always again i always want to pass that on to my students because what happens is that if you get in the habit of doing that somehow the muse kind of decides to give you the good stuff right away uh, right yeah. or the workable stuff uh, and it also you know increases your capacity and and hones those tools to deal with what you are being given from who knows where all that comes from but wherever it comes from you know you have this raw material and it, it improves your ability to to 
process it, transform it, yeah. convey it, right? Yeah. From ideas in your head to sound waves in the world. That's a golden um, nugget just there. That, that's, that's a really great one. That's a great tip. Um, it, it, it's like, I'm mindful of, of, um, of some of the things that are happening currently in the world. And uh, as, as we discussed, we had this great podcast last time with um, two experts on kind of um, race relations, racism in music and in the wider world. And we've been talking a lot in, uh, we had a fantastic conversation about the kind of Black Lives Matter movement, racism in music. And I know that you did uh, recently um, recorded uh, and wrote uh, it's a kind of an open source composition, if I, is that correct? Uh, called, called I Can't Breathe, um, which was in honor of George Floyd and in light of the Black Lives Movement that has um, arisen, sort of re-arisen since. Uh, it's a fantastic piece of music that we'll we'll link all our listeners to to go straight away and listen to. Um, but can you tell us how you kind of approached, um, like like how do you go from wanting to write something about such a big, important thing to actually making those first steps and coming out with something? Sure, it, I wasn't sure, and and to in a certain way, I'm still not sure that it's my piece to write. You know, I right. I am. I am sensitive to and, and and agreeing with people who are saying, look, I want to step back for a minute. I mm. want to listen, you know? Um, but as, as an artist, as somebody who is sort of sensitive, not take that how I mean it, but you know, someone who's affected by what's going on in the world. I, I had this, this idea and it just uh, rarely for me, by the way, just popped into my head full, full mm. formed. Right. I I would write a piece of music to commemorate this moment and yeah. to exp- at least what's in my mind about it. Um, and, and it was one of those rare instances where I knew exactly, and I didn't even go to the sequencer. I went straight to music notation. Right. Okay. And, and just notated it very quickly. Uh, it, it's, it's a super simple piece. It's a very short piece yeah. uh, and it's super sense simple. Uh, but, but it, you know, I, I think, the thing that was interesting and is interesting about it to me is that the experience is also meaningful for the performers. Right. Right. Uh, and, it, and I say that because I'll, and I'll explain a little bit about the piece. It is uh, the string players are doing nothing. It's, it's really for winds and percussion. Right. Um, and so the wind players, and, and I chose wind players because of this idea of breath, of course. Um, and the wind players are just playing, as I listed in the score, an uncomfortable note. Right. Um, as, as long as they can. And so this idea of struggling, really struggle to hold that as long as you can, as, as you run out of breath, you know, and, and what I didn't say in the mm. score was think about that. Oops. Think about that breath going away from you and kind of consider what that would be like right. if you didn't have the opportunity to inhale at the end, yeah, you know? Phenomenal. Uh, and so the experience for the player of, attempting to hold that note as long as possible of running short of breath of finally kind of reaching the point of failure. Right. That would to me was a valid kind of part of the musical event also. Right. right? Yeah. And you can really hear that. (laughs) It punctuated with, with these kind of, you know, um, huge blasting percussive hits um, that kind of interrupt and, and, you know, sort of beat down the, 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 tone of this this sound right um and that that's the idea right and the other thing that i knew about it was that i knew that different instruments can be held for different amounts of time right Right. specifically the double reeds can hold these super long pitches Mm. i knew that that sound mass would evolve on its own i didn't have to specify or or dictate it you know i could just let it kind of do its thing and if i had enough players that i would get that tapering sort of naturally as right. larger instruments, you know, that require a huge amount of air kind of failed yeah. and then you were left with woodwinds and finally double reeds and it just would kind of, you know, fade away that way. That's and, and, you know, that's kind of how it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Cause you, you, I don't think I would have guessed that that was the kind of like approach from hearing it. You can, you can hear the effect of it, it does have a, a sort of a breathless or a running out of breath thing, but what I hadn't, grasp is that it was all these different instruments running out at different stages based on how you play them, which is a phenomenal concept. I love that. And it just, it just evolves naturally. And so, I mean, you know, I like 
being able to write something in, in this style where I can kind of relinquish control yeah. and let what happens happen. Mm. I like the idea that every performance is going to be different. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I like that, that, and, 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 you know, having created it, I immediately, the, I just wanted to kind of release it and get it out in the world and here, here's the score. Anybody who wants to perform this, yeah. you know, Ex- explain it. that. So this is, you just put the score up. Is it, where is it available right now? Um, it has been on my website. I will, uh, I will repost that score just as a graphic, as a PDF with yeah. a link. Yeah. It's a single page. Yeah. I didn't do parts cause it's, it's so easy. Yeah. Uh, it, to write a part can do it. It can be explained. It can be performed by performers of, you know, up to a pretty young age because it's easy to explain. Yeah. It, it's easy. It's simple to perform, not easy, but simple to, to explain and yeah. to perform. Uh-huh. And so Fantastic. my idea for that is that, you know, it's something that people can, perform in a concert setting but they can also perform just as an experience to have yeah you know, yeah absolutely kind of connect in in some musical way to to what's going on and to kind of orient themselves to you know to the to the emotion that that, that sort of is is ruling the the times that we're in and, yeah. And yeah it's long overdue frankly absolutely. You know, i found the i found the sheet music on its own to just relate the message 100 percent. it was um, there's an aspect on it, which I don't think you described, which is that the violin players, uh, so, so Adam, so it's, uh, it describes all the different parts of the orchestra really. Okay. And the string players, I'm looking at it right now. They, they're supposed to hold their instruments tacit. So they're not making a sound yeah. and then they are on their, like browsing on their phone. So the, the concept that they're, not paying attention and being yeah, distracted right, while this right. is not, you know. Um, and uh, no, I'm, I found just, for me, just the sheet music on its own was just very powerful as right. a message. That's, ph- that's phenomenal. And, yeah, we'll definitely share it. Yeah, we definitely will. I'm, I'm intrigued to know, Lee, you know, it's kind of like uh, the, another elephant, oh, so many elephants in, in the room, we're overflowing with elephants, but uh, COVID-19, coronavirus, all this lockdown stuff, h- how has that affected you? How has that affected your writing process? Um, what's the, been the noticeable changes for you? Well, let me let me break that down for you two ways. Uh, first, in terms of my gigs, mm. which are, uh, are and have been largely just stopped, right? right. Uh, the uh, race was... I think three episodes episodes into their run of the mm. cycle that was going to be shown sometime probably early next year. Yeah. Uh, and they had to halt production and bring the teams back. Right. And one of the first shows to stop because they were, you know, they were somewhere in Europe and at the time, you know, Europe was just, you know, really starting to hit the, the, the horrible fat mm. part of the bell curve, yeah. you know, of, yeah. of COVID-19. And so they, they brought everybody back safely. Um, and, and who knows if they're going to even be able to use that cast, mm. if they're going to be on the race, you know, um, that show, I'm going to take a little digression here. That show was sort of born out of a, a difficult moment. And this is kind of its, its second huge difficult moment. Right. Um, they were in the middle of, you know, their first season when nine 11 happened. Wow. And the idea yeah. of sending people in airplanes around the world was suddenly yeah. a very dicey proposition. Yes. Right. Uh, and they persevered through that. And, and now, you know, 20 years later, we find ourselves in another moment where people being sent around the world in airplanes and running and exerting themselves and being in, you know, potentially in crowds in a chaotic situation. Yeah. Seems, that just seems crazy. You yeah. Know? That's, that's crazy talk. Yeah. Um, that was from the before times. Mm, um, mm. I suspect they'll figure out a way to do it at some point. Yeah, yeah. The Australian version of the show is going to resume uh, production, and they are going to do their race uh, only around Australia. Yeah, right. So it's going to be right. a purely domestic uh, event. Yeah. Uh, so, so in that way, work and not just race, but all work. I was going to do a, a series of arrangements for uh, a YouTube artist, um, yeah. just as a quick, you know, little side project, fun side project. Yeah. And you know, he wanted to do a Kickstarter to to fund the thing, and he'd done that successfully in the past. Yeah. And now, of course. I mean, Kickstarter's laid off something like 30% of their employees. Wow. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, it's, is, is it the time when you want to ask people to be, you know, no, probably not. No. Um, so, so work-wise that way, everything's gotten very slow. Yeah. Um, in terms of workflow and doing the job, um, for me, it is largely unchanged. Yeah. 
you know um i you know i would love to do the kind of shows where i drive down to sony and you know walk on the stage and have 90 people all packed in a room mm. I, that's not right and just you know drop a four pattern off we go yeah. uh that is a rarity for me right know, right uh, just realistically yeah. so my job has changed very little for musicians in los angeles this has been a time for them and and i've spoken to many 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 of them yeah and this is the time when they're getting their remote recording setups you know in place and and done mm. uh, some of my dear friends are musicians here and you know i've seen their their posts on social media i'm now ready to to record you know send me some stuff yeah um, yeah and that's everybody from you know flutists to you know percussionists uh, one of the great resources that we have and these are friends of mine but they, they're not paying me to plug them they're called la percussion rentals right. and they have all the standard instruments that they rent out to studios, yeah. but they also have all the crazy stuff, you know, all the wild instruments that you hear on film scores, yeah. you know, the metal onclungs that were used in Star Trek, the motion picture, the, the crazy, you know, boobams and all these, you know, you know, one of a kind instruments, yeah. for example, were built um, specifically for certain purposes. They're kind of the curators of, of the majority of those instruments. Cool. And so, because they're not carting them to sessions, they've set up for recording there in their facility. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, you know, people are adapting. I mean, yeah. musicians, you know, I think media people in general are, are flexible and adaptable. Yeah. And yeah. thank goodness we have the technology that, that kind of supports us in doing that. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I think we're seeing that on with just the, 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 um, sort of surprising adaptiveness of people in the music and the events industry to keep on fighting, to keep putting something out, to keep themselves getting sharper. You know, it's going to be fascinating to see what what comes out of all this when we're kind of back to something like normality, assuming we ever are. Um, so it's a, this is a, a phenomenal time to just chart and watch human endeavour kind of just continue and refuse to to wilt under pressure you think of all these all these songwriters and creators of music that have had to spend a lot of time in isolation at home you know mm. there's there will be a lot of new music coming out of this yeah. um and it's gonna be colored by just this incredible experience that's gone on for the entire world the yeah. last six months yeah um and i i hope that it's a you know it's a kind of a new i just i just hope that there'll be just a new uh amount of just hunger for new projects for mm. new works for just this creativity for this music that there'll be an outlet for all of this um because really everybody needs it i mean i think people need the new stuff to listen to and people yeah. need to get it out there and i just i'm 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 hopeful that there's just going to be a lot of good stuff. This new Bob Dylan album, this new Neil yeah, Young album, yeah, yeah. the old guys, you know. It's it's a strange time though because I don't. I've, this is purely anecdotal and it could be absolute nonsense, but I feel like from my experiences talking to um, people who are maybe in the music industry or just um, hobbyists or just people, I just feel like looking at the numbers on SoundCloud and stuff like that. I just feel like people are digesting a little less music at this particular moment. I feel like they're ingesting more podcasts and more YouTube videos and more kind of information. I think people are hungry for that right now. But when this kind of, this is a period that will pass. And when that does pass, I think we might enter back into this kind of, you know, we just, we want now we've, we've sick of digesting information and trying to make sense of this in a kind of a verbal way. We just want to like relax and, and and have some music wash over us to bring us different emotions. Um, so I think that the perhaps like um, the crest of a wave might be on the horizon rather than happening right now, which is another f- fascinating thing to document. And there's all these, you know, actually, I think podcasts might have been there might be people listening to it less since they're not commuting as much. You know, I do right? That's also true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's things that you listen to when you're driving to work or back mm. to work, and there's also things you listen to while working, and there's yeah. people, you know, working for better or for worse soon. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Not just anecdotally, is that that the sort of interpersonal, you know, communications like like what we're doing, you know, Zoom, 
You know, if I if I known that this was this particular piece of software was going to yeah. you know take off as invested <laughs> a penny or two. Yeah, right. uh, yeah, and, and I think that because of the isolation, I think that's the kind of experience that people are, are hoping for. I mean, I've I've been part of a you don't need to know this, but I've been part of a every couple of weeks uh, karaoke group karaoke session, <laughs> right? And so everybody plays their little whatever it is in the background and some right. quality terrible, but but who cares, right? It's just we're all getting together and, and we're not singing, we're singing. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and everybody's tremendously supportive. And and I've I mean, I think it's probably thirty percent people I know and seventy percent, you know, expanding the circle for everybody. And it's been it's been terrific. Mm. Yeah. You know? And, and, and look, I'm a terrible singer. There's a reason I became a composer. <laughs> I mean, it's, don't want to hear this, but uh, it, it's fun. And it's, it's the kind of interpersonal connection. Yeah. You know, it happens to be about music, but it isn't necessarily. And, and I think, I mean, again, just anecdotally, that to me, that's the kind of modality that I have found people to kind of be looking for. Yeah. Right. It's changing now because at least in this country, things are starting to open up again. Yeah. And, and I think especially younger people, or like, okay, you know, this, that was, that was a thing that happened. And mm. to them, it's, it's over, right. Yeah. It's over now. Or at least that seems to be, again, just anecdotally, as I drive around to, to go get groceries once every 10 days, you know, I see people last time I, I saw everybody masked last time, a couple of days ago, when I went to go get groceries, nobody was wearing a mask unless mm. they were going into the grocery store. Yeah. So that, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to say that the event is over because it is, no, it is. worse than ever in a lot of ways in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, but psychologically, I think people are, are desiring to move back into, you know, some semblance of, of normal, whatever that is. Yeah. And so I think it's going to change yet again. Yeah. I think it's going to change. Absolutely. Yeah, We've also not had this shared event worldwide where, you know, take, you could say nine 11, you, you have these, these other, you know, events that might have coalesced a single country. But I mean, worldwide, we have all done some form of isolation, you know, mm-hmm. or not working in almost every country. You know, it's it's the same as it is in Colombia and Chile as it is in the UAE yeah. and England. And and so, you know, we can all relate to this feeling of isolation yeah. or fear in a sense mm-hmm. and i think that's that's common language that will be expressed in art yeah well that's yeah i mean what better way to express a, a common emotion that doesn't require language it's music and art i think that's one of the biggest jobs that that we all have to play now is kind of helping make sense of this kind of after the fact i think music's going to play a huge part in it so you know I see it as more reasons to um, have a positive outlook overall, although these times are, li- are challenging for many of us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we're get, we're going to get through and now the question starts to become, especially for art, you know, and artists, which are always people who are looking forward and mm. have an eye more on the future than in the past. Oh, what is this? Hang on. Sorry, folks. No, no, no. I have that. <laughs> What is that? I don't even know who that is. Okay. Um, so for people who are artists always looking forward more than looking backward, I, I think the question now is how do we shape and improve what comes next? Yeah. Right. Because, you know, there's this, there's this idea going around that, you know, we're not going to go back to normal. Let's not go back to normal. Let's, yeah. let's go back. You know, let's not go back. Let's go, let's forward. go forwards to better. Yeah. 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 And, and I think art, that's part of art's role. That's yeah. part of the of, of of all arts and music in particular um, is to to. I mean, I always say we're playing for the beach. You know, if, if you are if you are a a teacher. I mean, my mom was a teacher, mm. and she found effects on the lives of a relatively small group of people. Mm. Right, she, um, was able to transform and and inspire and change the lives of you know, maybe a few hundred, maybe a couple of thousand people over the course of a career. Yeah. Uh, as artists, we're playing for, those are grains of sand on the beach is my point. As artists, we're playing for the entire beach and we just want to shift the whole thing just a little bit. Yeah. And just shifting just a little bit is very powerful. And and as artists, we have, that's what we're playing for. Those are the stakes, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great way of putting it. I love that. That's phenomenal. 
Um, I'm, I'm conscious of the, of the time. It's been amazing talking to you. Um, I'd like to ask one final question um, to going back to your sort of special, specialist subject, as it were. Um, how, what advice would you give to a young composer looking to kind of emulate your career path? Um, and, and perhaps in answering that, would you be able to touch on ways that you think that this industry you're in has changed since you started? Sure. Um, th- the biggest changes are technological. Mm. Our, uh, for entry has never been lower in certain ways. Um, anyone with a, a certain amount of a bankroll, reasonable, you know, not crazy bankroll, can get on the playing field. Yeah. Which is which is great because yeah. it, it, it sort of means that it's down to people with the most compelling voices yeah. again, you know, in, in a way that, you know, it always has been, but sometimes it hasn't been, you know, as, as accessible. Yeah. So um, I think the advice that I tend to give is um, find those aspects of, of this crazy little sub corner of the music world mm. that you're passionate about you know, and, and develop those, Yeah. you know, yes, it's important to be able to do multiple styles and be a sort of jack of all trades. Yeah. But that's a play, right? The people at the top of any industry are, are specialists, right? People at the top, which is where everybody wants to get yeah. are specialists. So find the thing that lights you up, right. That you, where mm-hmm. you can be your most sophisticated. Mm-hmm. What, and you're most passionate. What, give me some examples. Pers- what, what might that actually be? Like, what kind of things are you referring to? So, um, for for by by way of a, a simple con- concrete example, if you listen to, um, you know, two measures of a piece by John Williams, you know it's John Williams, right? right? It has a style. It has a specific sort of set of influences. He has his own, what I call the locus of cool, you know, things that over the course of his life and career have sort of sunken into his brain and, and mm. have sort of, you know, metabolized and combined and, and, and become unique, mm. right? And his own area of sophistication. The same with Thomas Newman. It was very different. Mm. If you listen to American Beauty, there's no question. Uh, that's an indelible voice, an indelible style. Right. And to Danny Elfman, same thing. And, and Elfman talks about it too. He says, uh, I created a need, right? right? After I started writing in this kind of zany style, people wanted that. Everybody, yeah. you know, there was a period of years there where all the composers had to learn how to write like Elfman because right. he created a need. So, yeah. so you want to be in the position of creating the need. And, and in order to do that, you have to find that square inch of the music world yeah, where yeah. you can own most passionate and sophisticated most sophisticated because that's where you have the greatest chance of contributing originality which of course is the realm Mm -hmm. and passionate because it requires passion to put in the the hours often without recompense yeah that it takes to sort of stack all those achievements upon achievements upon achievements Mm -hmm. like the technology we've talked about right Mm -hmm. a layer upon layer to get to a place where what you're doing is not just derivative it's it's original and it's and it's and it's unique and it and it has its own sort of point of view. Fantastic. So so developing that is mm. the long term. Right. So that's right. number. Yeah. Uh, number two is much simpler. Get a good chair. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. event. it's the Olympic event of sitting on your butt for fourteen hours a day. And yeah. so with and I couldn't be more serious. Yeah. Yeah. With ergonomics, especially as you get older. I mean, if you're young, you can you know you can fake it and your body will recover. Yeah, that starts not to be the right, case. Right. So it will pay dividends. Get yeah. a good chair. Okay. And so, okay, this is the final, final question. You are a young composer and you've got some, you know, you think you've got some great ideas. You're writing, you're writing kind of, I'm, I'm guessing you're writing practice pieces for, for you know, for, for things that already exist, perhaps. How do you go about getting that first proper booking? And are you expecting to be paid for it at that stage or not? Um. There are, there are two schools of thought about payment. I'll get to that. But I, I think that meeting filmmakers and people who can say yes mm. you know, is, is super important. Mm. And so you have to figure out where those people are and try to, you know, try to make connections with them. Because, mm. you know, in a sense... Uh, I'm going to be all highfalutin later, so so now I'm going to say this: being a composer is somewhat like being a plumber. If if a filmmaker, you know, 
uh, and needs a plumber, yeah. they will go to the person that they've had a good, yeah, you know, experience with yeah, in the yeah. past. Yeah. If they don't, if they don't have that person, then they'll ask a friend, hey, you know a good plumber. Right. Slot in the word composer and it's the same. Okay. By yeah. the way, I, I wish that most of us could get paid what plumbers get paid. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but so, so facilitate, you know, your ability to, to, to be called at any minute by a, a wide number of these, right. these people. Right. And how do you go do to that? Festivals, go to, you know, you know, do the, do the homework, do right. pay your dues, find out where they are. Yeah. Schools, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of that will probably be unpaid. Yeah. My personal philosophy, and it's different for different people. My personal philosophy is if the filmmakers are not getting paid, I, I'm generally okay with not getting paid. Mm-hmm. Once they understand that what I'm giving them it has a value and I will tell them specifically the cash value and yeah. here's my going rate and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. There are other composers and I respect this who say, I'm a professional, regardless of what the project is, yeah. I should get paid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. even if it's just a little mm-hmm. respect that as a point of view. Sure. Uh, I, I think that, you know, either way it's, it's more about fostering the relationship than it is about anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the best case scenario for this career is that we get to spend our lives telling cool stories with good friends. I mean, that's really what we want. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, you got to find, you, you got to find those good friends. Yeah. Put yourself in a position to, uh, to tell those good, cool Absolutely. stories with them. And I guess at the moment, it's not going to be about going to film festivals and stuff in, in these particular times. So do, in your experience, would you say that it's uh, possible to make these connections that you need uh, digitally at the moment? I, you know, I, I think it's possible. I think it requires a, a very sort of a, a very high degree of tact and, mm. and because that's the other thing. People are approachable right now in this unique little moment of time in a mm. way that they probably won't ever be again. Right. Yeah. I can reach out and I know that, you know, these directors are not on set yeah. probably. Yeah. Right. They're, yeah. They're, they're doing stuff, but they're, they're available. They're mm. checking in checking social media. Yeah. And so if I want to DM somebody or if I want to reach out, there's a good chance better now than ever yeah. that I right. that I can reach out and touch somebody, you yeah. know, yeah. and say, Hey, you know, I, I know you were working on this before the world changed. Yeah. I am a huge fan of that. And and by the way, be honest about that. Mm. Going back to do what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and, and passion Gosh. always gets a response. That's how I got my first few gigs. Yeah. You know, was, was, being a huge, for example, a huge Tolkien fan. And, you know, the, the producer on a show was also, and then we played racquetball because we both like racquetball right. and, and yeah. became social friends. And that's the kind of, I mean, that's a different story for everybody, but that one was mine. Yeah. yeah. Right? And then he went on to be a story editor on Amazing Race. And that's how I got that gig. Fantastic. Right. And, and yeah. this, these are the stories that everybody tells though. And in a way it never feels quite legitimate because it's always sort of, oh, I knew this person and they recommended mm. me and I just kind of got the gig. That's how the world that's, works. That's how it goes. That's yeah. everybody's story. It's not what and you know, it's who you know. That dismisses the fact that you've done thousands of hours of yeah. work to refine the craft of the music. Yeah, and you have when to be good. Acquaintance and, you know, started to have a bond telling mm. a story together. Yeah, so. no, it's, it's assumed that you'll be brilliant, right? I mean, that's... It's a given. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So get, so, so kids get brilliant first. And then when you're brilliant and you're passionate, don't be afraid to reach out to people. And, and perhaps if, if, if it's your moment now, then I think brilliant advice from Lee, as you say, these directors are not on set. It's a good time. Don't be afraid. Don't think that the door's closed just because we've got coronavirus, I guess. And not just directors, you know, music supervisors. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Editors, mm. right. And I send you some stuff with, with no strings attached. And if you think it's useful for you to temp into something, you know, as a temp track, feel free to use it. Right. And then it's the director, a director yeah. might hear it and say, oh, I really like this piece. You did that. Re, you know, rescore yeah. a scene of something and put it on your Instagram. Lee, where can people find you if they want to connect? Sandersmusic.net is the website. Yeah. And uh, I am also on social media. 
Um, but it's all linkable through my website. That's the best sort of portal and starting place. And I will put, um, I will put the score to can't breathe back up on the front page and uh, downloadable as a PDF for anybody that wants it. Uh, and, and all the latest stuff is always there Uh, and you can hear music there and it's, you know, it's a proper website. Thank you so much, Lee. Your time has been really, really great today. Thank you very much for coming on board. Thank you so much. Excellent.